You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. What's up, folks? Welcome to the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast with your host, Nate Thomas, flying solo today. Also solo in the show with our guest, Dan Johnson, host of the Nine Finger Chronicles, among other podcasts, and owner of the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network that we are a part of. Uh, This is actually the first time we've had Dan on our show, and we thought, what better way to kind of keep the momentum of our new season running with another Tales of the Chase episode Dan uh, talks about a deer he killed a few years ago. I kind of like this story among others that I've done in the past because it shows, you know, that drive to to recover a deer that you don't, you might not even think is dead. Um, and uh, he kept on it and and luckily got to recover the the deer that he shot. So it's a good, 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 good uh, story and, uh, you know, good time talking to Dan. Um, since it's about 1145, as I'm sitting here, uh, recording this, I'm just going to jump into sponsors and let y'all get into this show. Let's kick it off with Weber Outfitters, weberoutfitters.com. Give them a call. It is October, but it's not too late to get stuff set up. Uh, get out there with your bow and, and get going. Athlon Optics, ridiculously good optics. Uh, I've got a Midas Tax sitting on my new Six Creedmoor that is going to be my gun this year for deer and coyotes, among others. But, you know, going to be my dual purpose one. And um, I'm excited to, to get it sighted in. I haven't shot it yet, unfortunately. Been busy. Onyx, use the code MWW20 for 20% off on onyxmaps.com. Check out all the new features they've got, which are many. Camo Fire, get on that app, check out what's for sale. Black Ovis, use the code MWW10 for 10% off and free shipping over $50, I believe. BlackOvis.com, Huntworth Gear, use our code MWW15 for 15% off. Uh, goodness, man. it's it, If you are worried about getting cold this year, here soon, get on Huntworth and get yourself some heat boost. That's all I got to say. I don't get cold no more, and I don't wear heat packs None of that stuff. The only thing I got to worry about is my feet, and uh, that's still probably going to be a problem for me this year. But I'm excited to, uh, you know, use my heat boost stuff again. Alps Outdoors, use our code 2023. That's 2023 Woods Water for 30% off. Get yourself a pack, get some stuff uh, for the season that, uh, you know, is just kind of kicking off still. Zamberland Boots, ZamberlandUSA.com. Reveal, reveal cameras by Tacticam. Uh, I've got a few cameras I need to be moving around. Um, I'm, I've been slacking, to be honest with you. It's been busy around our house. Uh, but doesn't mean I can't do it. And then finally, Habitat Works. Dustin Williams, give him a call, 816-752-7390. Appreciate all our sponsors. Let's hop into this show with Dan Johnson. Tales of the Chase. This is the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast. 
All right. For the first time in our show's history, we have got the Emperor himself, Dan Johnson, on the show. What's up, man? Uh, it's going good. However, every time anybody from the network introduces me as the Emperor, I, I, like, I feel like a douchebag. Because, because, like, who's this guy think he is that they have to address him as the emperor? To be fair, you didn't give yourself that name. Okay, good. This is this is good. all. Hey, I'll, I'll, I, <laughs> I will say this: I went to a kid. I went to high school with a kid, and he gave himself his own nickname, and he called himself that all the time. And then we just made fun of him for years. I think. Yeah. Because no. because he gave yeah he gave himself his own nickname. This is where you kind of get off the hook because you didn't do this to yourself. Andrew Muntz with the O2 podcast is the one who started all right. this. I'm pretty sure. Right. And it just grew legs as as things do. Uh, but um, yeah, it's not your fault. You just got stuck with uh, being called the Emperor because of the name of the network, which, if anybody doesn't know, is the sports Sportsman's Empire Network. Dan yep. is the owner of the network and. Uh, the host of Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, Hunting Gear podcast, and I don't even know what other ones. I think those are the only two you're you're running right now. So yep. uh, if you haven't checked them out, you should. And I'm I'm guessing you've you've heard of Nine Finger Chronicles, one of the first podcasts that I actually ever started listening to back in the day. Um, and it's just yep. kind of funny that we've had 180 shows, and this is the first time I've had you on. But <laughs> it is what it is. You are kind of an asshole, so yep. I'll let it slide this time. That is true. It is true. What have you been up to, man? Okay. Uh, I got. But this is what I've been up to. All right. I'm just going to be extremely blunt with you. Um, I've I've been hating my dog a lot. That's what I've been up to. But something. You know, there's, they say there's always a silver lining to any bad. If you can find a silver lining, that's a good thing. And I don't know if it's necessarily uh, a silver lining, but we uh, earlier this spring, I believe it was uh, like January even or February, we bought a, a puppy, a cockapoo. And, you know, one of those dogs that serves no purpose. I was going to say, what the hell is a it. cockapoo? Yeah, it's a mix between a cocker spaniel and a poodle, okay. right? So from a functional standpoint it serves no purpose other than to drain money to drain patience and uh, ultimately you end up resenting it so with all that said so here's here is the last couple weeks i i'll even go as far as the last couple months he gets in the trash uh, in the bathrooms if someone does if we don't shut the door he'll get into the trash he'll dig out this is gonna sound gross he'll dig out tampons he'll dig out any any type of uh, garbage chew on it if there's food in it and he just sm spreads it all over if anybody leaves any cardboard um he he'll chew it up he drug it like downstairs right now after this I'm going to go downstairs and clean my basement because the damn dog got into some cardboard and it's all over the basement right now. But here's, here's the silver lining of that. Before we even bought the dog, my wife goes, I want a dog. I want a dog. I want a dog. And she kept, she kept going and going. And I'm like, okay, fine. Let's get a dog. But, but I'm telling you right now, our family has no time for it. 
We're a very busy family. I personally am not going to provide anything towards this dog. Like I'm, I will help pay for it, but I'm not take, I'm not potty training it. I'm not going to take it on walks, all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. That's fine. I, you know, I'll me and Ava, my daughter, we'll take care of it all. We'll take care of it all. And it was a couple of weeks ago when she was blowing up at this dog and asked and telling me, uh, you know, telling me, why don't you ever help out with this dog and, and all this shit, you know, she said, she said some words that made me sound real happy. And that was, I wish I would have listened to you earlier. <laughs> Hold on. I wish, Let me rewind I so I can get my I, phone yeah. out and record this. <laughs> I wish I would have listened to you in January when we bought this dog, because this dog's an asshole. Like it's just a nightmare puppy. Uh, nobody pays attention to it. She works. I work, the kids are in school. Yep. And what's this dog do? Just choose shit, ruin shit. It doesn't even poop in the grass. Um, we had some pills like, uh, you know, now you can get medication shipped to your house. It chewed up and ate a bottle of pills. So what did I have to do last week? Take it to the vet to get its stomach pumped, right? Sounds and so money, money, money. And so there's days where I just want to leave the front door open, let it go, shut it, and then play dumb and be like, I don't know. I what, don't know what, what happened, happened to the dog. Let's go find yeah. it. I'm so, telling you, that makes me yep. feel very happy with the decision we've been making so far. You know, because yeah. we're in the opposite boat. So my dog just passed away about, uh, he's been gone for about six months, I think now. And he was the, mm-hmm. the world's best freaking dog you could ever yep. ask for there will never yep. be a, de- a better dog in my life uh and he was an awesome he was a german shepherd a working line german shepherd um you know he was well behaved he was intimidating looking so when i was gone he took care of my you know my wife felt safe with him mm-hmm. but he was 10 years old when he died and he was he was you know he was easy to take care of well you know not to get too detailed about him but he was a very high-end working line German Shepherd who's got frozen semen on file where mm-hmm. he was a stud at. And so I could get one of his sons tomorrow. Well, you'd have to wait for the litter, but I could get a son yeah. of his pretty easily, which yeah. I really, really want someday. But right now, yeah, just like you said, we don't have time for a puppy. And I know what puppies right. do. I know what puppies turn yep. into. They, they, yep. They're little assholes as puppies. Then they turn into young dickheads as basically mm-hmm. a teenager, which is what sounds like you're going through right now. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to, I don't want to handle that first 18 months of their, their life. And, nope. uh, so right now it's no, no dogs coming. So yeah, I like hearing decision that. You ever made. Yeah. <laughs> I liked hearing that because I don't want to dick with that right now. Yep. Absolutely. So I took my, uh, I, that's what I've been doing or that, that it, that's been the thing that I've been thinking about the most today is, that dog and how I wish it was dead. <laughs> <laughs> now, you, have you ever seen that meme of Michael Jordan where it's black and gray and he's sitting like this and look like he's thinking and it used to say, yep. like, just do it. It was really, well, somebody took that yep. meme, that picture and they made a meme and it's, it's always made me laugh my ass off, but it was, it was something. He, he's got that same look and that same, you know, thoughtful look. And it just says, mm-hmm. fuck them kids. 
right underneath. <laughs> you, I should make one for you that says "fuck this dog." <laughs> Man, I tell you what, if it was good enough, I would, I would put it on a T-shirt and wear it. <laughs> oh, so wear it. this is a toxic relationship you're in at this point. Oh, a hundred percent. Are you talking about my dog or my wife? Your dog, your dog. Okay. I will okay. talk about your wife, okay. bad about your wife like that. <laughs> I've met your yeah. wife. She seems like a lovely lady, so I would never speak like that about her. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, looks can be deceiving. Oh, <laughs> uh, that poor dog. Uh, after, so what you're saying is after we get off this call, you're going to go clean that basement and do everything in your power not to just beat the ever living hell of that that dog i understand i understand how you feel right now man that sucks yeah yeah well hey yeah deer season's almost here so that's good oh buddy yep i'm uh i'm pretty i'm looking forward to it dude uh and i think a lot of it has to do with that dog like i'm looking forward to leaving this house for periods of time to get away from the only thing that really brings well my family brings me stress too, but that dog brings me a lot of stress. And when I can remove myself from that stress, that makes me happy. And deer hunting does that. Deer deer hunting makes us happy. Yes. And Absolutely. so, uh, we're, I'm kind of, you know, the Missouri woods and water podcast is kind of kicking off deer season with some, some of our, uh, some of our stories. Uh, we haven't mm-hmm. got to do a lot of those this summer. We've been doing a lot of learning along with our listeners this summer. So, we actually just recorded a show. I don't know when it's going to come out around yours. We did another another Tales of the Chase with a, a, a good friend of ours. And I thought, Dan Johnson has some really awesome stories. We've all heard the story of shipwreck and, you know, all those cool mm-hmm. stories. But uh, I've listened to you for as long as you've had a podcast, and I've heard all of your deer stories. And uh, a few of them have stuck out to me. Um, the one we're going to talk about today. Did that deer have a nickname? You know, I don't think. I don't think he did. I don't think he did. I don't no. think he did either. No, I don't think he did. I don't think I gave him one. Um, no, I don't think. I don't think I gave him one. To be honest with you. Yeah, I, I believe that one didn't. Um, and the story, it's going to be kind of like I'm hearing it for the first time too, because yeah. when you listen to a bunch of stories, they all kind of start to. Like, which one was I listening to when I heard him say, you know, it, it went behind a tree and I had to hold and blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. I remember listening to this story and being very, uh, painting myself a lot of mental pictures uh, because you had a lot go on in this story just from yeah. the beginning to the end. Um, so what year did what year did this, uh, this story take place? Do you remember? Uh, 2018, I believe it was. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, was that a new farm? I can't remember. No, this was a farm that I'd been hunting since 2007 or eight. And so it, it'd been 10 years in to this farm, but really 10 years in with man limited, like I, I, I found success on that farm in 2012 uh, I chased a lot of really good deer in that time, but I was still in this like learning process. You, you know, I talk about 2006 
being the year that I jumped into deer hunting. And really it took me 10 years. I found success within that 10 year period a couple times, but I contribute that more to luck than it was actually skill and strategy. And so on that farm, I shot some does. I shot a really good buck in 2012 on that farm, but you know, and, and I found uh, some success on some other farms, but really it took me until 2016 where things started to click. My strategy as a whole was really coming together and, and then putting, being able to put in plant, you know, put plans in place using access routes and using um, wind direction to really get in and, you know, get in some really good areas where I could use quartering winds to, put myself in the right position and make the deer feel comfortable as well. And, uh, and so I, that was, so I found six, I, uh, my strategy started to click in 2016, uh, on a, on a good, you know, a good four-year-old 2017, I shot a decent buck and then 2018 or 2017 is when the, the, yeah, the the sum the the fall of 2018 is when I or 17 is when I identified this buck that we're going to be talking about as a four year old who was running in the area, and and then ultimately, you know, just that's where the story that's where the story actually starts is the year 20, yeah, 2017 that that year when I caught him on trail camera. Nice. And so, I mean, by that time, like 2016, like you were saying, stuff started to really click, right? The first mm-hmm. 10 years of your hunting career, quote unquote. Uh, and I can, I can feel that way too. Cause I haven't, I, I didn't start hunting until I was almost an adult. I mean, I was yeah. 20 years old, 20, 22, 23. Uh, first time I went hunting and then I didn't take it seriously for a while. And then I got serious and then, and then you're like, well. There's got to be more to this, so then you get into bow hunting because I got to it. I got into it the other way around. I started rifle hunting first, and then yep. I'm like, all right, I want to get closer to these animals. But so I can under I can see what you mean, and then so 2016, you know, you start clicking, and by 2018, when this story actually, you know, when the actual harvest happens, you've got to be feeling pretty uh, uh, confident with your hunting uh, acumen by by that time yeah yeah i was feeling good i will say this i have been hunting since i was 12 or 30 yeah i think right. 11 or 12 years old maybe 13 something somewhere around there but it was never serious i was a weekend warrior uh school activities and all and boy scouts and football that all came first but it wasn't until i was 26 when i started taking all of it serious Right. I, I didn't start hunting in, in 06. That's when I dedicated myself to deer hunting. Right. Uh, in, in that. So that's when I started taking everything serious and, and starting to learn as much about whitetails and, and their movement and their behavior as possible. So, so yeah, it was 2017, uh, the fall and I was hunting a really big block of timber. And the, the cool, th- and I'm going to get into this, but something happened in 
this period of time when I really started to document deer, um, deer via trail camera and where they were and where they were also at in other locations. And I'll get to that here in a second. But 2017, I noticed them on trail cameras in a, uh, on a, I believe that that year it was a bean field. And after he didn't show up on, on that farm until after the beans had been picked. And then I had a, a trail camera on a fence crossing that he started to use regularly, but it was nocturnal in 2017. Mm-hmm. I also had a new farm that I had picked up and started to hunt. And that's where I shot my deer in 2017. So I noticed him and it was one of these deer where he was a four-year-old. I'm guessing he was 145. He he was a nine pointer, just like he was uh, in 18 when I shot him. But he, he's a four year old, probably 145, maybe somewhere around that, maybe a little bit, uh, maybe just a little bit smaller, between 140, 145 as a, a nine. And I said, oh man, that's a great deer. But I only had him crossing this fence, and it was all nocturnal, so I really didn't pay too much attention to it. I hunted that area a couple times in more of an observation sit just to just to get an idea if if he was even in the area if i if i could maybe rattle him or call him in or something like that and it was a no go it was just it, all nighttime pictures and so fast forward to that spring i went shed hunting and uh it was the best single day of shed hunting that i have ever had in my life i believe in 30 ish 30, 40 minutes, I found 11 sheds, all, no, it was more than that. It was probably, yeah, it was somewhere around 11 to 15 sheds in that amount of time. I found a couple match sets in in that period of time. And I found the, I'm looking at his antler right here, the right side of that buck. Okay. Nice. And so, so I'm like, oh, this is awesome. This is awesome. So that let me know that at some point in time, I have a trail camera picture here. I about, I want to say a hundred yards away, I found his shed and that's, I had two, two points on a map, right? I say at some point throughout the year, he is in this area. Okay. And so I checked another trail camera. Uh, while I was shed hunting that spring and I got him at a, I, I got another trail camera picture of. So now what I'm starting to do is triangulate this deer's position. Okay. I got, I got a point of them here. I got a point. I found a shed here. I, I never saw him from the stand, but then I also got a point of them here. So now I'm, I'm starting to see the area in which this deer runs. Okay. Found his sheds, kind of forgot about him because in 2018, I was also, chasing a once in a lifetime uh, another like shipwreck another once in a lifetime animal and so it was 2018 it uh he this this buck was like 2018 2019 you know he's sitting at like 200 plus as a non-typical just ridiculously gigantic um animal and so i was really focused on him well this buck shows up like no velvet pictures at all the whole summer of 2018 and 
So 20, so yeah, no velvet pictures in 2018. And then September, I believe it's 19th. I'm on my computer. I don't know if I have the files on this computer or my other computer, but 20, 2018 in September, I'm guessing September 19th, he shows up on trail camera in full velvet still. Wow. Like, so he, he held velvet late or maybe it was the ninth, but anyway, still late, yeah. still late in, it was early September, mid to early September, still had full velvet on. I caught him North uh, on the North piece of the property that I hunt, uh, across the road. And now I got a fourth position on him. Right. So now I have this triangle or th this rectangle. Uh, from and you can start to see a little bit of why is he betting here? Well, it's because it's thick and nasty. Why is he coming down here? Because it's a destination food source. All right. So I said to myself, okay, I need to find, and this was in September, early October. And I, I said to myself, okay, I got to find in this rectangle that I've documented on a map, I have to find the best terrain features to hunt. And there's one terrain feature that just called to me. I mean, it was this big, uh, two ridges on each side, a steep uh, drainage that ran, draw that ran right up it, right up into a field. And on certain winds, all of, it was a low spot. So on certain winds or cloudy days or, or low pulling thermal days, all of the scent would just drop right down in here and deer would cross this little crossing right on the outside of this field edge. And, and they, they were, they're able to scent check the whole field. And so I said to myself, I'm going to wait until the best time of the year in this early October, or excuse me, this late, uh, late October, uh, early November timeframe where the deer are still in a pre-rut, maybe try to wait for some precipitation or whatever. I had good luck with that in 2017 where mm -hmm. it rained, it rained for like two straight days. The second it stopped raining, I got in a tree and I killed my 2016 buck. Okay. So now, uh, no more trail camera pictures of him in 2018, but he's still in my head. Right. I don't know if he's dead. I don't know. I don't know what happened to him, but no, no trail camera pictures of him. And so sometime around this early first week of November, we were due for a two day rain event and it rained for almost 24 hours. And the best part about this rain is that it was going to rain and it, it had been a wet fall already. So the crops hadn't been taken out. The corn, standing corn, had not been taken out of this uh, field. And so I had just awesome cover walking into this timber line. Uh, and then I was probably about 20 yards off the field edge into the timber on a southwest wind to where all of the field was getting drained down in my scent was kind of blowing over and so we had kind of a a low my scent didn't necessarily get sucked down into it it, it was it was like the perfect per perfect setup I, the perfect setup man i'm telling you if i southwest wind 
the perfect setup. I was feeling confident. It was still raining when I went and um, got into my tree stand that I had set up specifically for that hunt in, I want to say September or early October. And I was like, man, this just looks too good to be true. Uh, and, and I found it and um, ultimately set a tree stand up. So then when I, um, when I went back, the next time I hunted that stand was like the first week of November. And I can remember just feeling like some shit was about to go down that day walking in there, right? Like the rain is just about to stop. The, it's going to push through. Deer are going to be, bucks are going to be on their feet. It's been 48 hours and they're going to start cruising and they're going to start laying sign and they're, they're just ready. Right. I get up in my tree. I sit there for about five minutes and this is bullshit. The rain, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the rain stops. Okay. Uh-huh. And so now I'm taking off my rain jacket. I'm taking off my rain jacket and, and it's quiet in the woods, right? I mean, everything's wet. You can hear the, the only thing you can really hear is maybe some birds chirping and then the drips from the trees hitting the ground, right? right? Just, you just, and then I hear a twig snap behind me and I'm just like, it's quiet. So, you know, a squirrel's not going to be making that kind of noise. And I look behind me and he's standing at about 40 yards, like looking right at coming right out of that draw coming right at me and so i have one hand one sleeve still in my rain jacket so as he's walking toward like quartering towards me and he's about ready to get broadside i take my jacket off and this is like one perfect motion Mm -hmm. take my jacket off like set it on the seat of the tree stand grab my bow, hook up, draw back. And he had already made it through my shooting lanes. Okay. And so he ends up stopping upwind of me and he's kind of just sent check in the area. He's, he's looking around, but he's hard quartering away. Mm-hmm. And that, that year I had also went on an elk hunt. Okay. So I was shooting, fixed blade broadheads that year because anytime I go out west to hunt elk I don't change my broadheads to back to mechanicals for whitetails I keep it fixed blade so that way I don't have to tune anything again right I'm just so I'm shooting a really heavy arrow with a broadhead that's not going to release any energy right I mean there's no there's no energy loss uh the energy loss on a fixed blade is way less than a mechanical because the energy lost during uh deployment deployment yep yep anyway i take a a really hard quartering away shot and i hit him i I thought i hit him back in his liver and at that angle it would have went up into his chest hitting probably one lung maybe heart don't know and so the rain was done the forecast so anyway i draw back i hit him he kicks mule kicks and i'm just like yes okay and so i wait about 30 minutes i make the phone calls right and 
I get down out of my tree and there's still plenty of light left, right? Still plenty of light left. I shot him fairly early. Um, I think I had maybe 40 minutes to light left after I shot him. And so there was time for me to just relax a little bit, got down out of my stand and went to impact and there was good blood. Okay. Really good blood or not necessarily right at impact, but as, as he starts bounding off and bounding away, I was able to find some good blood. He started bleeding pretty quick. Yeah. He was bleeding pretty quick. All right. And I'm like, okay, it looked like it, it looked like good, you know, like vital blood, not, not like hit him in the butt or I hit him in the guts or something like that. I'm talking pink, really good or pink or, or dark red, sometimes like liver. I even saw some that had bubbles in it. And so that tells me, oh man, that's, that's airway blood, right? So maybe I nicked along. Maybe I got, I don't know, like maybe I got it right up into his, into his like esophagus or something mm-hmm. like that. And I got him. So I kept following, I kept following blood just a little bit. And I get to a spot where he had been standing, like he, like he stopped, but it was out of my view. He stopped and there was a pile of blood just dripping. Like you could tell it had been dripping there. And then he trot, like, then it starts to like, uh, drips. Like I would just see drips, not like constant blood. And so I started to worry a little bit and I'm like, Jesus, man, uh, this is, you know, I thought I drilled him. And so one thing that I've learned over the years is do not push deer. If if you have any questions and that old saying, you know, like when in doubt back out, man, I, 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 I said to myself, I called a whole bunch of friends. Um, I, I wanted one buddy to come help me right away that night but he was on a good deer too. So he's like, Hey man, let's just back out. I'm going to hunt in the morning tomorrow. And then when I get out, um, you can go, maybe you can go start for it, but, uh, uh, you know, go start, go start for it. And, uh, I'll, I'll come in and help you if you haven't found him yet. And so I end up going back home, settling down, you know, just trying to like in, envision where I shot him and trying to mm-hmm. find the arrow and, and where I shot him. My gut told me, Oh dude, dead deer automatically dead deer. You know, like I, he kicked like that. And usually, so like, I don't know about you, but whenever you hit him in the guts, they hunch, they don't kick. Yeah. They'll just go. Ugh. And then if you hit him in the vitals, that's when they do that mule kick where they'll just kick their back legs real uh, high up. And so he did that. And I said, I got, I got something good. I got something real good. And so I backed out next morning, supposed to be a really good day of, uh, you know, there wasn't any rain in the forecast until later that evening. And that's when, that's when shit started to get really weird. (laughs) Stuff got weird. So, uh, question though. So did you ever find your arrow or was it in him, uh, when he, took off yeah i yeah the arrow the the arrow i saw the fletchings disappear into him okay and but i didn't find the arrow okay the, i found the arrow when i eventually recovered him sure right 
which sometimes can lead to, you know, you know, I, I hate saying this, but if you're, if you don't pass through, you almost hope he breaks the arrow off or something happens to that arrow when they're running. Cause it seems like arrows can plug things up and, you know, make it harder for you to track deer too. Um, you know, I, I've had deer, I had that deer that I shot in the guts. It's the only deer I've ever seen that I shot in the guts who I saw sprint for 350 yards across the cornfield, cut cornfield, cut bean field, excuse me. And once I recovered him, found that I gut shot at him. And I'm just like, wow, that that was not what I would have expected from a deer that was gut shot. Um, But he barely, I mean, he didn't bleed at all. And the only yeah. reason he didn't bleed is because the arrow pulled intestines through the exit and the in, the yep. entry wound was too high for him to bleed out of. And so that was the, like an anomaly, but with deer that I've had an arrow, not, you know, make it all the way out of it's, it's sometimes harder to, you know, see that, that blood trail, uh, because yeah. that, that arrow acts as well, an obstruction to stuff getting yep. out. So I was curious yep. if you had an arrow, uh, up front so he was bleeding pretty decent then with an arrow yeah, right still off, in him right off the bat yeah right off the bat ultimately i feel that that arrow staying in him was one of the reasons not the sole reason but one of the reasons i ended up finding him hmm. and, and that he was hurt so bad that he couldn't i don't know like he was hurt so bad that he he just he couldn't move or he didn't want to move. Yeah, and, and that's unfortunate because, man, I'll just the reality of it is that deer suffered for probably twenty four hours. Well, and if not if not longer. And I've heard the story, so we'll yeah. when we get to the end of it, we'll talk about why I wanted to hear this story today, um, because yeah. there this is why I uh, well I respect you so much as a hunter and outdoorsman. Um, this story is one of those reasons, but it's kind of a dichotomy with the, uh, with the arrows, right? Because I, I want to see the arrow out of the deer, but like you say, when an arrow is sitting inside of them, it's also continuing to damage, you know, and move around and cause problems. So at the same time, you know, you want to be able to find blood, but it's not the worst thing in the world for the arrow to stay. Uh, cause it's going to continue, yeah. especially if the broadhead's still sitting in them somewhere. Uh, it's going to keep cutting right. stuff up, but yeah, I, I see what you mean there, but okay. So, so day two, your buddy goes, does his hunt. Uh, you go out and start doing some searching by yourself first. Yep. I, I, I waited until the sun came up the next morning, uh, went out. Actually it was, it was right at day, crack of day. I was drinking coffee in my, uh, in my truck with the windows down and I wanted to hear, I wanted to basically hear if I could hear any coyotes uh, yipping or anything like that. And I didn't. And so it was probably about eight o'clock in the morning when I started, ended up tracking, you know, looking for this buck. And I was, I, I went back to, I put an arrow. This is what I always do. I put an arrow in the ground, fletchings up for last blood. And that's how I know if I can't find blood, I'm going back to the arrow and then I'm going to start over again. And then, you know, you, you start to grid these little areas looking for last blood. And so I ended up, I ended up going, uh, you know, he started working his way downhill. Right. And so I'm finding little drips of blood. 
little drips of blood, little drips of blood. And he gets to a creek crossing and it's not, there's no water in it. It's like a dry creek bed. Mm-hmm. There's maybe a little bit from when it rained, but usually when it, deer if he's hurt bad they jump a a crick something will be there'll be more blood on that and so i i'm i'm he's heading this direction and it almost acted like he took a hard left turn and then crossed this crick instead of following the crick he crossed it and then i looked on the other side and i found a little bit more blood and i'm just like okay it's a weird move for a deer to do but i'm gonna follow it So I follow it and I go up and I'm following it down on the opposite side of this, this little creek. And I go, and I'm starting to my way, but can't find blood, can't find any more blood. And so I'm just like, man, this is weird. He, it was consistent, but I've been there before, man. I've, I've, I've hit deer in 20, in 2009, I double lunged a buck, but he was real stretched out and so i shot him and when he when he closed his legs you know and started running off his fat and skin covered the hole and so he all of his all of his uh um blood he, he bled internal yeah it took us till the next morning to find him but i double lunged him so he was dead real quick but just no blood to follow okay so you know, here I am just going. And, and finally, finally, my buddy shows up and we start to tag team this piece of property. And like one of us stays at last blood. And then I would go forward, look for more blood. And we weren't finding it. And so I went back to the arrow and I just was like, okay, I'm going to walk straight up this ridge. And then I'm going to like I'm, I'm going to go straight up this ridge and I'm going to just to get a better view of the timber. And as I'm on my way up, I start to find chunks like in some additional blood. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This, this deer now is going up real steep terrain. So then, you know, obviously that has a guy second guessing himself. He's like, Jesus, is this deer hurt that bad? Because, you know, from my experience, deer just keep going downhill, maybe try to find some water depending on where they're hit. Uh, or they just, they, they're just not going up that type of terrain if they're hurt that bad. Right. But this deer did it. And so he ends up going up this ridge to where it flattens out, walk in this way. And then he cuts back down on the opposite side of the ridge and working hit and we're starting to follow blood of him coming back down the ridge until it gets to back to where we were literally just at with the arrow in the ground so now i go where did this deer go first did he go up uh, up the side or did he go uh, more of a on the opposite side and go up and then come back down the steep part Right. So I'm just like, okay, how yeah, bad did, is this deer? Did I follow him backwards, you know, originally or something like that? Yes. Yes. Did he go up the 
the side of the ridge with the, or did he go up the steep? Because that would tell me okay, if he went up the, the, the gradual incline, he, he could still be hurt. But if you went up the real steep stuff, that's going to take a lot more uh, energy to get up. Then I'm second. Then I start to second guess myself. Well, anyway, we're, so now we have this trail or this blood trail that is now looped back around to the starting point. And so my buddy hops, I think it was my buddy. He hops the crick and, uh, and then he's, I think he found some blood on the other side of the crick. And I'm like, what? Like, what did this deer do? Yeah, what's he doing? And so, yeah, what's he doing? And so I get on the opposite side of the crick and I start working my way up the opposite side ridge, the, on the opposite side of this, this big drainage that this crick flows through. And what do I find? More blood. And so I get up there and I, uh, I find some blood where he, he was either bedded or he he was either bedded or he was standing for a little bit and then i i walk another 10 yards and, and when i say i walked 10 yards i mean this is a matter of maybe 10 minutes mm-hmm. me searching for blood in in this this malta flower road and i, I find then i find an official bed that this buck is laying down on top of an arrow that's in him causing him a ton of pain right and so I find this other other bed that is noticeably sat in, and the blood is just not, it's like a brown. And so he stands up and I work, I'm working my way up, I'm following blood. And when I'm like, this whole story is taking hours, right? I'm 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 telling you a, a version of this story that takes a couple minutes. From the time I I started to this point is four hours long. Okay. My buddy hops in at about an hour into this story and he's helping me until I tell him, dude, I'll, you know, I, he had to work that night. He works night shifts. And so he ended up, he ended up going. And then, so now I've uh, leaving. And so now he helped me find this blood and he helped me get out, you know, to this certain point, but now he's got to go to work. And so he ends up, So I follow blood, I'm following blood, I'm following blood up. And I'm like, dude, if he crosses the road, it's over, right? And so I lost blood again, arrow back in the ground at last blood. And I start to grid search basically an area. I follow this trail up to the road, no blood. I look on the road, no blood. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to come back down on the opposite side of this ridge. And I'm going to go back to this crossing where we found it and see what happens. Well, Ultimately, on the opposite side of this ridge is blood. I find more blood. And now this blood that I'm finding is headed down. And, and where does it go? It goes to the same spot that the other two trails intersected. <laughs> and so now what we've done is we've we got a figure eight scenario, right? Where this deer in some way, shape, or form has gone all the way with just just this consistent low dripping blood and i'm looking up i'm just like i'm not finding this deer now now remember this little crick crossing point here okay yeah okay just just save that and so now i go i know that the rain's coming and it's like 2 33 o'clock in the afternoon and i start to grid and I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm gritting it like I'm shed hunting it. I'm going up every ridge 
I'm, I'm going up and down it multiple times on the, the east side, then dead center, then on the west side, because all these, all these, the big drainage runs west to east, and all the fingers run north south on both sides of this drainage. Gotcha. And so I am, I am straight up gritting at this point, and I, I don't, I, I've not found. I, I know that he, he, um, he figure eight. He did the figure eight move, and then I, and and then I thought maybe okay. He, he got out of there. He's following the water down to the river. And so I start gritting. No luck. No luck. No luck. No blood. No deer. Uh, I'm not even bumping deer out of here. Right. I'm just like, Jesus, what's going on here? And it starts to rain. And I mean, it is pouring out. And I'm wearing a range jacket. I'm just like, Jesus, I'm never going to find this deer. And this at this point, this is and it still is, I would say, is the the biggest deer I've ever shot. All right. And I'm just like, Jesus, this sucks. And so it starts to rain. And I I I'm I'm I continue, I continue gritting in the rain. I go back, things are kind of washed out again. Like even the blood where I knew it was at is is disappearing. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just like the, the literal worst case scenario. Um and so I grid the whole south side of the property of this of this big drainage. And there was like three ridges that I needed to, to do yet. But the rain just came and I was like, all right, I'm done. Went home and uh, my stepdad, he told me, hey, I got a buddy who's not doing anything. He's got a four wheeler. Would you would you want him to come and help you? And I was just, I was kind of hesitant at first. I was like, yeah, I just, I don't need anybody. You know, like I just, I, I, in my mind, I said to myself this, I'm not recovering this deer because I literally gave everything on this property, you know, looking for it. And I don't know where, you know, you sp- I don't know. You if spent that entire him. next day searching for him. Yeah. I spent, I spent 10 hours yeah. looking for that buck the next day, uh, basically sun, sun up till almost sundown. And then the rain came and I, I got to my truck and, and, and the 15 minute drive from just a little bit of light in the sky. And I got to my, back to my parents' house and it was, it was dark already. Right. And raining. So it rained the whole night and cold front came through and I said, yeah, you know what? I'll take this guy. If he wants to come out and put around a little bit and help me find him, let's do it. And so we get in and I'm like, okay, here's these two ridges that I, I haven't walked yet. He was on a four wheeler. He was older. You know, he's, he's probably in his sixties. And so he ends up dropping me off at the top of this ridge and I'm just walking it down. And, and ultimately the, the ridge that, that I didn't uh, finish the, the three ridges that I didn't finish gridding all lead down to that intersection that I was telling you about. Okay, where where the middle of the figure eight happened. And I'm coming over this ridge and as clear as fucking day, that buck is lying dead where where it had crossed like three three times. And I'm just like, you got to be shitting. There's, There's no way there is no way that I missed him laying there because I was standing there's. There are boot crossings on that creek 
right next to where I found his body. Okay, so I had been there. My buddy had been there. There's no way we're missing 150, you know, 155 inch nine, typical nine. Right. right? Well, typical, whatever. Uh, 155 inch nine pointer. Five-year-old buck. You don't, you don't walk by that, okay? Especially in, in this this timber scenario. And I come down over and I'm just like, you got to be kidding me. And so, so I, you know, I'm just like, ah. I get really jacked up. I'm, I'm pumped. This guy, he drives his four wheeler down, finds a way in the timber, drives it down. And I'm looking around and this buck was straight up flanking me and my buddy the entire time we were looking for him. So as I would go up one side of the drainage, I'm guessing that he could smell, he put himself in position to where he could smell and hear us, maybe even see us from a distance. And as we would go up or disappear behind a ridge, he dropped back down. This is a theory. And he went up the opposite side of the, on the other side of the ridge to get high ground to, to, to stand and maybe watch us or listen for us without without leaving the, the safety of the timber. Right. And so as, as we ran that, that figure eight looking for him, he was doing the same thing, but just not. And then finally, you know, he came down off the, the north side of the drainage that night looking to go back into some kind of thicket, probably hide. He didn't make it. He made it to the bottom next to the creek where we found him. And uh, sure enough, that's where he, where he had, I rolled him over and <laughs> this is crazy. Uh, thank God for heavy arrows because without one or with, without a fixed blade broadhead and without a heavy arrow, this deer, I would have never found this deer. I would have got straight guts and then um, straight guts and then, you know, no impact or no, no penetration. Right. So anyway, I hit him in his ham in the back, in his rear end. And that arrow had so much penetration behind it, it went through his ham, through his guts, out, uh, went through his dia diaphragm. I think it hit a little liver. And then it knit the bottom of his, uh, it nicked the bottom of his, opposite side lung just a little bit like it was it was very minimal so uh, aside from the diaphragm you know which usually makes it hard to breathe for them mm -hmm. you know and all this pain through the intestines and stomach and lungs and everything uh he was hurt really bad actually one blade of the broadhead unzipped part of his his guts and he had stuff hanging out of him so that's what that's what we were finding yeah and it came, it came out his front, it came out his front shoulder or on his armpit on his opposite side. And it was just sticking out a little bit. So that made it hard for him to walk too, you know? So, um, I feel like if that arrow went all the way through him, we would have never found him because it was doing work as, as, you know, like we were talking, yeah, like we were talking about. Yeah. 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 And so <laughs> Man, just a ton of damage, 
you know, and, and that's why I love hair talking about, you know, we'll get to the rest of it here in a second, but that's why I absolutely love heavy arrows. And, you know, it makes the argument for fixed blades as far as penetration is concerned. I love, I love using, I love using mechanical broadheads, especially on marginal shots that are broadside. But in that scenario, it was the fixed blade heavy arrow combination that ultimately did that deer in. And uh, man, it's, uh, it was, it was gnarly. It was just, that took me, what was it like? I want to say 13, we put in 13 hours looking for that deer and ultimately found it on the of just searching not the second day from the day you just searching yeah from the day you shot from the him. day i shot it whole day went by yep. kept looking for him 10 10 i would say 10 hours plus that day and then the next day was an hour or two into it as well so uh you know somewhere around that 13 14 hour mark over the course of three total days uh and i ultimately found him yeah and that's about about that story what i love about it obviously you know i don't really feel like we even have to say this but we would prefer to double long heart shot a deer and find them in 50 yards we we all know that i don't we ain't really have to say it but what i what i talk about and i actually had a show with uh aaron blicey of the fall podcast probably about a year ago at this time maybe even longer because he had a similar story two or three seasons ago about a deer it took him two or three days to find and yep. what i feel like happens is that second day right around either lunchtime or for some people at the end of that day they're done i'm not going to find him you know he's not dead either either they say he's not gonna he's not gonna die or I'm not going to find him. I searched for him all last night, all of today, if they make it all the way to that point, and they say, yeah. you know, I'm done. Yeah. But I feel like as conservationists and hunters, that's what can give us a bad name is when we give up because we, we mm-hmm. well, I'm not going to find him or I don't feel like I, I did it. And that's where yeah. I respect guys like you and Aaron and the story we had with him is it's putting in that extra effort. I, I put an arrow in this deer and I've got an obligation to see this through. And, yep. um, if you didn't do that, you don't find him, you know, you yep. might find him the next winter looking for sheds. Uh, you mm-hmm. might find his, you know, his dead body down there, but you, you lose, you know, the deer that you, you decided to, to, touch a arrow and off an arrow off on and that's what yeah. i love most about that story and i remember like i feel like you put stories out or you were doing videos you know during that time talking about you know mm-hmm. hey i haven't found him yet and i kept waiting for the next update next update next update yeah. and what what i thought was you know super impressive was like you said the amount of time you put in trying to find the damn deer 13 plus yeah. hours searching for them when there are a lot of hunters out there that would not have put that time in they would have walked away and said i'm done um so that that's where you know i uh i really enjoyed that story was from that aspect obviously he's a badass deer but 
that kind of became secondary to me by the time you found him. Cause it was yeah. just like, dear Lord, every time I, you know, turn on my Facebook or Instagram, Dan's got another video talking about, no, I don't haven't found him yet. He's double back on me. Uh, the first second, I mean, I feel like a lot of people, the first second that deer started going uphill and they lose blood, they're done. Oh, he's going uphill. I can't find blood anymore. He's not dead. Yep. How many times do you hear that? Uh, Oh, a ton. How many times have I been on a track job with uh, somebody, friend, or someone looking throughout the years? And the first obstacle that they hit, oh, he's dried up, you know, and then you go back and and they find him during the shed season, exactly like what you said. Yeah. But it was just another 40 yards away or something like that. I'm just like, I I think me anyway, I mean, that's the only person I can talk about is myself. I put in so much time and energy thinking about deer, doing deer activities throughout the year, hunting. And then when you finally get an animal that is, you know, it take like for me, it takes four years for an animal to be alive before I'll even look at it. Right. If they're, if they're older, like this deer is a five-year-old. And so I was just like, man, it takes five years for a deer to get to this point in his life. I owe it to this animal and to myself to, to exhaust every resource that I have to look for them, to find them and to try to get the meat out of them. And so stories like that, where it took me two days to find him, he stunk so bad when we found him. Like, I'm surprised coyotes didn't get to him on that second day. I I wasn't able to use the meat out of him. And and so that was, that was a huge downfall for me. And just like the buck that uh, it took me a day to find the buck this year with the the story that I had Mm -hmm. and the coyotes got to him before I did. Yep. And so, then we got that situation too. And so I wasn't, I was unable to get the meat. So it's only really like a half success because I love venison and I love eating deer meat. And when you shoot a, a buck, like the ultimate is to shoot a buck with big antlers, take his meat, eat him. And when you're at the table, you're, you're going, gosh, I shot this buck, right? Like I, I shot this big mature whitetail and now I'm eating him. And I'm look like when you're eating him, you're looking at him on your wall and you're just like, this is awesome. Yeah, bitch. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, but it's only part of the story. Like, I mean, yeah. it's only like batting instead of batting a thousand, you're batting 500 because I couldn't get the meat. And so I was thankful that I found him, but I was upset because I couldn't take the meat off of him. So and yeah, on the totem pole of like hierarchy of successful hunt for you. Yeah. It wasn't like mm-hmm. the most successful hunt in the world because you weren't able to, to use his meat, but what, what you were able to, um, salvage is the legacy that deer will always have mm-hmm. from a story standpoint. And he's always going to live on because you were able to save the Cape and at least, you know, yep. respect him in that, in that manner, instead of him just rotting, you know, for no freaking reason, you know, you gave yep. up and he's just rotting in the ground for the rest of the, you know, mice chew up on his antlers and you can't even, you know, yep. utilize, you know, that, and he can't even live on through, through, uh, through that way. So yep. yeah, it's not yep. like how you would draw it up. And I'm sure you had those moments. Like I've had, when I told you that story of that, that deer that ran 400 yards across the cut bean field after I gut shot at him, the second I touched that arrow off, I knew I was back. 
Yep. And I knew I was high, which I had to be high because it was it was a high angled shot. But the second I knew I was back, this sense of dread comes over you. Like, no, 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 no. You know what I'm saying? Like, you've ever been in a sports event or something bad happened in your life or something, and you just, that sense of dread hits you like that. Yeah. That's I mean, the, you don't want com- that. Yeah. And when it comes to bow hunting, man, you know, you ever watch those videos where a guy goes, smoked him. Yeah. Right. Yep. And, and it's, and it's a, you, you know, the deer's going to pile up really quickly. And then you get these other shots. I mean, I've been there, man. I, I've, I've been the guy who's pulled off the perfect shot, dropped him in 20 feet from where I shot him. I've also been the guy who's pulled off one of these these shots, unfortunately. Should I have let this deer walk because of his angle? I just can't do that. Like, I'm a killer. And unfortunately, in order for me to have success, an animal has to die. And so I'm willing to, to I don't know, like I take shots to kill animals and I know what, I know what kills an animal. And sometimes they don't die like you want them to. You, you hope and you practice for the worst case scenario, but oftentimes that doesn't, or the best case scenario, but sometimes the worst case scenario happens. So you got to be prepared for that as well. Yeah. And it's just a matter of like knowing the shot you took. I mean, we, we're not going to go into it on this show, but you know, you took a shot that that hit parts of that animal that are fatal. Well, even mm-hmm. guns are it's gonna die. But yep. you also hit lungs, diaphragm, that thing was in, in trouble no matter what. Yep. And it took you a long time to find them. Mm-hmm. You have other times where like the one I've told the story on now, I watched that deer run four hundred yards, dead ass sprinting, gut shotted. And when I found him, he was gut shotted only. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I'm never going to find this deer, but obviously I got to try. I didn't even attempt to, I looked for blood right at the arrow and I found, obviously my arrow passed through. I found the arrow, found maybe two drops of blood five yards away that everything smelled bad. And I didn't even attempt to look for that deer that night. We went home, uh, waited 12, 14 hours, went back the next morning and there was only one chance there was one little block of timber he was running towards that was maybe 15 yards wide and 50 yards long. That was it. After that, it was another 300-acre cornfield until the next property. And I said to myself, the only way I'm going to find this deer is if he made it to that timber and stopped and laid down. I'm, I'm screwed. I'm fucked. And damned if he didn't do that. Next morning, I went to that block of timber, and he was dead right there. Now, he had only died maybe an hour before I got there. He was still warm. Everything was wiggly. So I, I not only found the deer, I also got the meat. Like it was a win for a horrible shot I took. Gut shot, yeah. got the meat. Sometimes shit like that happens where you get lucky and you get everything. Other times, you know, you make a better shot in this story scenario and, yeah. you know, shit happens and it doesn't work out. Um, as hunters, we will have – you've heard those dudes. I've never made a bad shot in my life. You know, I don't make bad shots and I keep thinking, well, keep talking shit. You're going to, you're going to have a string about five <laughs> years. Uh, cause I think right. as a hunter, you hunt long enough, stuff's going to happen where the shot doesn't go the way you want it to, or the track job doesn't go the way you want it to. 
And the reason why I wanted you on here today to tell this story was as the season's starting for everybody, they need to remember, hopefully, the the idea as hunters and conservationists is that we should be doing everything we can to recover the animal that we decide to try to shoot. Yep, this story absolutely. that Dan just told is a perfect example of what you need to be willing to do if you touch an arrow off uh, this this winter or this summer, this yep. summer, this fall. Yep. Uh, if you touch yep. an arrow off, be willing to put that time in to find that animal. And uh, you did yep. a an exemplary job. I don't even know if that's a word. You did that. You did exactly that job, and I remember that story from four years ago, five years ago, and uh, that's what I wanted to, to talk about today. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. You got to do your due diligence for sure. Yep, got to do your duty. Do your duty. Do and your he duty. was a gorgeous buck. You got him. Um, yep. Obviously, with the show release, I'll uh, I'll release a picture of the buck with the show if people want to see him again. He's a he's a mm-hmm. gorgeous deer. Uh, it was a it was a terrific story. And almost a perfect ending, um, yep. but you found him, and it's just crazy the way it happened. That freaking deer died right where you were. You had crossed that time. How many times had you crossed that creek in that spot? Three, uh, or was uh, that the third time? There? Probably no, probably five, no five shit. or six over the course of that that time frame. Yep, he yep. just kept hundred percent. That's crazy. I, you just I've never heard a story like that where that deer just kept going right back through there, right back through there, and your theory is. I would say it's pretty correct. Yeah. I mean, he had to have been just either go, you know, flanking you guys or, or what, wouldn't it be funny if he was following you the entire time? Just like, Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt it. I didn't look backwards. Yeah. Right. I didn't, I didn't look like I didn't, I was, I had my head down and I was trying to find, you know, I had my head down and I was trying to find, uh, find blood. Yeah. That's crazy. What a what a story, man! But uh, that is the the first ever tales of the taste with Dan. So, um, what do you got going on this year? You got some deer that you're looking forward to? Uh, yeah, man, I got a a buck that I've been chasing. Well, I learned about him not last year, but the year before, where he was one of those deer where you're just like, God, please do not show up in front of me. I don't want to shoot you. Uh, but if he kept, like, if he caught me on the wrong day, I would have shot him. He would have been a four-year-old then last year, he would have been a five-year-old and he was absolutely gorgeous. Mainframe, mainframe eight with a, uh, on his left side, split brow time. And he has, uh, crab claws on, he had crab claws this year. He's a mainframe 10, same split, but he also has crab claws. So he added, you know, he added two more points, uh, one on each side, and he's really cagey. I'm going to put him at that 170-ish nice. mark, uh, maybe even a little bigger. And he's an absolutely gorgeous uh, animal that I'm I'm going to do everything in my power to to, uh, uh, to try to get. But then on my other farm that I hunt, it's just does right now. And there's a lot of farm work going on. And so it really hasn't. I haven't had any shooters show up on that on that property yet, but uh, hopefully, hopefully the farming operation stops here pretty soon. Uh, the farming aspect of that property stops; it, it leaves alone. Uh, you know, once the velvet strips, hopefully, I start to see deer establishing, you know, a hierarchy, them moving around, 
and walking in front of my trail cameras and I can get a, a better idea of uh, what's in the area. Nice. Well, I wish yeah, you buddy. all the luck. Uh, before we hop off here, let people know how they can uh, listen to some Nine Finger Chronicles Chronicles. Yeah. Uh, go to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network or just Google Nine Finger Chronicles Podcast, and there's going to be a thousand different ways you can listen to it, man. Awesome. Dan Johnson, thanks for hopping on and doing a Tales of the Chase with me. Absolutely, man.